This icon is racist. I've never ever been a spy. Can the PBS bank uh, The problem is that pinky. I'll never subject myself to whiteness. I'm listening. Can you have consistency, Honorable Chair? Corruption was an Olympic sport. They will always win gold. This is not a shit. Can you please come in? Greetings and salutations. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Sunday Times Politics Weekly. I'm Amil Amrao. I'm joined in the studio by Apiwe de Klerk, Cornita Hunter, and Zimata Matiwane from our politics team here at the Sunday Times. Guys, all protocol observed. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here this week with us. Let's get straight into it. Let's talk about our big story um, this week on the Sunday Times, a story that sort of ripped through the nation um, after the report came out on the state security agency and how our former president, Jacob Zuma, had his finger in the pie here in the intelligence agency, using it for for advancing his own political gains. Basically, what the report says is that Zuma and the ministers he appointed to head the agencies violated the constitution um, by repurposing the spy agency to serve their own personal and political interests. Um, Kornita, you focused on the story quite a bit. Are you surprised at all? Because I knew Zuma as a mastermind of intelligence, and we knew this back from his days at the, at the ANC as head of intelligence. Are we surprised at all that Zuma did this? We always knew there was problems at the state security agency. And as a result of it, when President Cyril Ramaphosa came into office, his, one of his first call to actions was to set up a panel to review the work of the state security agency. Now we know SSA in its current form mm. was a brainchild of former President Jacob Zuma. Yes, of course. It was him in 2009 that decided that he needs to bring together the foreign branch of intelligence known as SAS and NIA, which was the domestic branch of intelligence, merge them together and then um, make it into this sort of um, agency uh, that that eventually he had his hand in. Now, there are two parts of this report uh, that was um, headed up, or this panel, um, panel's report that was headed up by Sidney Mofamad. So there are two parts of this uh, report that I think, you know, this report could be separated into broadly. The first element is the legal stuff. Yeah. The second element is the malfeasance. Mm-hmm. Now, if you talk about the, the legal stuff, firstly, the report goes on to say that the setting up of the state security agency itself was not premised on law. Mm. Meaning Jacob Zuma woke up one day and decided to merge the, the two intelligence agencies and then um, just did it. And it was not based on law. There was no legal basis for it. There was um, The proper procedure was not followed. Then it was filling the state security agency with people that were loyal to him. And and a protagonist in this report um, is a person by the name of Tulani Glomo. Now, Tulani Glomo is an ambassador, uh, was an ambassador to Japan, South Africa's ambassador to Japan. He was, he came, he was a political deployee um, who worked in ANC intelligence circles. He came from KZN and Zuma put him to head up special operations. Now, a lot of this report focuses on special operations. And it's, um, you know, th- there, are, there are lots of other people that, 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 you know, were implicated in wrongdoing by this report, one of them being the former minister, David Matlobo. Mm. 
Um, and then obviously we know Arthur Fraser, who was part of, mm. uh, who headed up uh, the Pan project. He was the same guy that Jacques Powell mentioned in his book, wasn't he? Who had run that parallel structure within the SSA. But now, th- what Jacques Powell wrote about was something that was until 2009. The special operations is was the recent vehicle that Zuma used. Hmm. And and it, it, it gives different um, examples of how this vehicle was used. For example, in the 2016-2017 annual report, not the report of the panel, this is their own report, they say that part of their achievements was that they infiltrated um, and stopped CR-17 forces mm. in, um, from giving out regalia in January 8th um, uh, rally of the ANC in Rustenburg in 2016. Um, mm. All of their all of their successes that they boast about, the Special Operations Unit of the State Security Agency, was efforts to protect former President Jacob Zuma. And so it's it's quite fascinating when the report says that um, you know the the, there was the manipulation of the state security agency for factional purposes, and that has emerged from the top, which is the presidency, through the Ministry of State Security and into the management and the staff of the SSA. Now, just to break things down a bit further, Amil, if you saw um, um, our story in the in the Sunday Times, we had two stories in the Sunday Times. The first, the first story was basically what the report says, right? And the report spoke about um, how uh, the SSA under Zuma physically stopped CR-17 supporters, spied on civil society or, uh, organizations. There was fake news campaigns, right? And it goes on to say that, um, you know, the agency was extensively embroiled in the politics and factionalism of the ruling party. Now, State Security Minister Dipole Tsatse Duba spoke to us, and she literally summarized it as there was complete lawlessness mm. at the at the at the at the agency. I'm, I'll be did you, I mean, were you were you shook at all by by all of this? So, so we've we've all of sort of uh, either uh, known how uh, uh, these things are happening even before uh, Jay Z uh, came into uh, into power. Spooks have been used in factional fights of the ANC. Uh, during that fight between himself and then the then president um, Begi. Um uh, and the report says that the report says from 2005 but mm. it intensified from 2011 onwards yeah so one sort of expects that uh, as as the guy emerges and and gets hold of power uh, he would want to ensure that his survival uh, uh, he uses uh, these guys. One thing that f- uh, scares you uh, a lot as an as a, as a ordinary South African is that instead of uh, a lot of focus uh, being done on the protecting of the interests of the country, on the interests of the citizens, these guys are running around protecting one faction mm. and promoting the other. And can it's I tell quite you scary. Can I tell you something even more bizarre? The oath that spooks have to take no? Mm-hmm. was actually changed well. because be, in the report says it that before it was you, you know your loyalty to the state and to mm. the republic and then they added and to the president and the minister of state security and it, then you say this kind of language and you're like what yeah it's it's highly politicized i think uh the the anc uh has to 
lose this mindset of intelligence uh, of because back in before they became government intelligence was for their own mm. uh, uh, leaders so uh, to protect the ANC and its leaders so if there is a faction within the ANC that is trying to topple whoever is in charge at the time that's what intelligence is is, mm. is there for now they are running a country they are not running a, an underground uh, operation i mean uh, and it was shocking how mashobo um at the briefing the, the next day mm. uh, in Lutuli House. You went the, for that briefing? Yeah, I went for that. He 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 sort of didn't want to go and, and, and speak about anything that is raised by the report because he's saying uh, no names uh, and whatnot. There is names. It was just redacted for us. Mm. But he, he is implicated. Yeah, he's saying, well, since there are no names, therefore... There is names. <laughs> and just... interestingly, both he and uh, former minister Tuele were present there. They... They, they, they tried to shy away mm. from commenting on, on on the report and what it details, and even without names, you know who was who when. So the period that you are looking into, he surely he was the minister. If he, someone he says during 2016, yeah, yeah, he was the minister. I mean, he must say, okay, I was not aware of these things happening, or they were yes. happening with my blessing because A, B, C, D. Of course, yeah. I mean, so, so the one thing that uh, Minister Letsatse Duba, uh, Letsatse Duba uh, said to me in an interview on um, Thursday, which we wrote about in the Sunday Times, is that she says, I'm trying to look for the actual quote, but she talked about Lutuli House needs to learn how the officials are not, are not there for themselves. Um, she said that, um, wait, I'll find it now. Just give me a second. She says, right now, some politicians are happy with the status quo. Those intelligence officials serve them. There is no way they're going to say we are not going to allow them to interface with us or interact with us because it benefits them other ways. Um, anyway, so sh- she was trying to make a proposal to say she wants to make it a, an offense for an intelligence official to get involved in the politics of any political party. I thought that was really interesting. Um, she said some politicians used intelligence officers for political reasons. Um, also saying that, uh, you know, she has talked to the Shuli House because uh, some 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 officials, like, f- for example, the head of special operations, would just go to the Shuli House and brief people directly. Yeah, look, uh, the, the, the other interesting part was how the defense minister responded to the call for uh, operatives not uh, interacting with political parties. It felt to me she's sort of justifying it. Uh, in that uh, they protect major events, right? So whenever there's going to be a major event, if it's going to be a DA rally, a national rally, or if there's going to be a major concert and whatnot. So I I, I think she she was not talking to issues like, uh, because the question and, and the context of it was this guy indirect with politi- politicians for the purposes of uh, uh, um, promoting interests of this faction or the other faction and not to say we can't can't indirect with politicians because when there's a provincial rally, it's a gathering of people. Of course, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they know, but the, the the other the other part uh, that um, scared me uh, is the part where if then the president uh, uh, 
pursues uh, the line that he's taking now uh, he's sort of going to be dealt with if you, if you, if you look at it uh, the NGC is coming he's going to see the effects of that so you saying these guys are, are threatening a, a sitting president yeah uh, that's uh, actually the most important story for me yeah is that is that the the repercussions of this report Remember, this report has been sitting on Ramaphosa's desk since uh, December, um, and he and he obviously, um, you know, only released it last week. But the bigger issue here is that senior spooks who have been loyal to, sta- to former President Jacob Zuma. Remember, they are bulk of them that that mm-hmm. uh, that were purposely put there to weaken state institutions. That are now openly rebelling and saying that um, you know you want to sort of implicate us, expose the way things were done. Um, you know, this president must be must be afraid. Um, you know, there's a quote in my story where I say that uh, where, where someone said, um, you know, what you said up here about uh, you know the NGC, uh, and Letsatse Duba said, no, you know, this is just people who she knew that there I- that there is a rebellion that's going that's happening, and she says basically there was it was it was it was lawlessness, and now people are are are, are sort of um, fighting back against that. But they, but they are basically threatening Ramaphosa to say if Ramaphosa continues agitating them, some of our guys will get involved and he will see it in the NGC. And if you see former President Jacob Zuma's tweet, Emil, did you see it? Mm. What did Talking you? about apartheid spies and how they're all behind the whole notion, sort of diverting away from... The actual <laughs> content exactly, and evidence. Exactly. He and doesn't the, make any reference to it. He doesn't comment on it at all. Yeah. He just makes his outright allegations try the and divert away from the two members of the panel fight. were, were and about I'm not, spies. And I'm not surprised by that because that's one of the tactics that Zuma uses all the time when it comes to moving away. I think if we look at the, the recommendations from the report, one that we've got to sort out our legislation, but more importantly, um, it recommends criminal prosecution for Zuma Uele, and Mashlobo, uh, Mashlobo um, and other SSA staffers, which is quite important. Zimasa, if you look at the political landscape of things, a report, another report recommending criminal prosecution against Zuma. Um, in our political landscape right now, do you think that's even going to be possible? <laughs> you know, you know, if if they started threatening him with NGC now, um, as as much as I think they should be held accountable, all these culprits, I'm not sure if it would be a good idea for him to to pursue that. But also, I mean, he's 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 not the NPA. Ultimately, we would like to believe that the NBA is independent and they will have to do their job without fear or favor. But uh, for for Ramaphosa politically, maybe it's maybe they need to be got rid of mm. for him to be a president in peace. I don't know. Cool. Okay, guys, we're gonna leave that there. Let's dive into. Um, our election coverage, uh, we're talking about the economy this week and the state it's in and how political parties are promised to overcome this issue once they've or if they come into government. This is just a bit of a background for South Africa's macroeconomic picture has sort of deteriorated, in my opinion, since Ramaphosa has taken office. Um, eco- economic growth is averaging a little more than 1%. And um, we are failing in terms of our account deficits, we're failing in productivity, and we're failing on the unemployment and job side as well. Our wage bill is another massive issue. Um, Paying our taxes is another massive issue. And then we've got threats of our SOEs failing on the other hand of everything, um, sort of adding to our uh, our woes and our economy. Um, Let's look at what the ANC said during the election manifesto and how they promise um, again over the, for, for every single year to sort out the economy. 
We want to mobilize more investments into our economy so that both government and business should increase their level of investment in our economy. We have a plan to ensure that investment can improve. We have a plan to raise 1.3 trillion rand in a new, new investments over the next five years. At the center of our manifesto is really a plan to create many more jobs and ensure that all workers can earn a decent living. Okay. Firstly, Ramaphosa seems big on investments. I mean, that's been his catchphrase since the time he started off. Investments, investments, investments. He doesn't say how. He doesn't promise policy certainty. Maybe he promises it, but he doesn't really go ahead with it. Talking about, if you look at, for example, um, um, the South African Reserve Bank, uh, one of the big issues that we're talking about, whether it should be nationalized or not. Um, Ramaphosa sort of jumping around with that issue i don't think he's been do you think around. so i don't think he's been jumping around the issue don't tell me don't what smirk t- at me and say <laughs> i'm a tumabina spokesperson I think, I think i think at the union buildings between union buildings and lutuli house mm. there's a lot of jumping happening. exactly <laughs> exactly but let me let me um paint you paint for you a picture when ramaposa goes um on these campaign trails he speaks literally the same thing mm. over and over again and he tells whether it's people at the Black Business Council or it's people in Soshanguve or is it people in Fosloris. Um, he says, we can only grow the economy and, the o- and we can only create jobs if we get investment. Of course. I can agree with that. I feel like that is a more clearer picture to an ordinary person than what we've seen in the past. We're going to create jobs. You know, mm. comrades, we're gonna, you, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> to say we have to grow the economy. And then by growing the economy, we're trying to attract investment. And the only reason, you know, kind of experience because people are not stupid. Yes, but can you attract it? Can you attract that investment if your policy sensitivity is not where it's supposed to be? I think I, there is policy. I think I think so. I think so, too, because I think we are clear on on land. Yeah. We're clear. Land on is no longer an issue anymore. Yeah. We're clear on n- nationalization of the Reserve Bank. What was are the other? Are we clear on that? Yes. We are. No, as in, the country may not be clear yeah. on it, but in, within the, the ANC, see. the fact that Ramaphosa will go to Parliament and say to Parliament, we will have to nationalize the Reserve Bank. There are obviously other considerations that are taking place. Yes, there may be people within the ANC that may have different differing opinions mm. but what i found about ramaphosa is that even in unpopular sentiments even on things like um let me let me think of something um you know like for example land mm. he says things like whether we like it or we don't like it we have to uh, you know have expropriation of land without so do you think investors still trust him even on the i think i think i think that i think investors most of the time want to know what the policy is they mm. don't want dilly-dallying so once you are clear on the policy then everything else should be pretty much straightforward. Yeah, when you say uh, policy certainty, um, look, I think most of the contentious issues, okay, let the two that we, we've, we've spoken about, that is the Reserve Bank and, and the land. Mm. It's not a matter of whether they would do it or they won't do it. It's just about the, uh, how it's how going to be to do done. Yeah. So in terms of where we were um, uh, pre-Nazrek, 
it, the picture has changed dramatically. Uh, when you are an investor, the only thing you are looking at is how they are going to do it and whatnot. And you can sort of suss out uh, how it's going to be done based on the interactions that he's doing. And, and lobby so also. And, and also lobby, lobby you see. Yeah. So um, there is never going to be a hundred percent uh, policy certainty until uh, it has been signed by him uh, 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 whatever changes that are going to uh, okay you see what I'm saying mm. so uh, as an investor you sort of know that okay this is the direction he's taking and also there's an appetite for investors and I and I and I that's why I, I stress the point that it's not something he only speaks about when he's speaking in fancy gala dinners etc it's something he even talks to ordinary people about to say um, we can understand that there's poverty here. Government can't do this alone. Government, and, and, and it comes back to that question, like how much jobs can government create by itself? And the, and the very f- interesting thing uh, up here is that the DA was always critical of the ANC saying, uh, you know, it's not government's jobs, job, <laughs> it's not government's job to create jobs. But um, um, it's, it's to create an ambit or an environment where jobs are created. But now the DA is going around saying, promising jobs, and I think that's quite populist. Um, and I think it's also a little reckless. Look, uh, my take is that, um, okay, maybe we will go to, 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 to that when we speak not, yeah. about the, the economy and what what. But you see, the, the previous person to mention a number, or uh, to estimate how much jobs they will create, uh, was the previous guy, and uh, the, the 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 economy just kept mm. uh, performing bad. He said he was going to create jobs, and then the next year he said job opportunities, and the next thing we are at EPWP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I think it's but it was that fundamental role of not understanding that as a government. You can't, and I mean, the ANC has not reached that point because there are still people in the ANC that believes the ANC has to create the jobs. ANC cannot create jobs. Well, well they must create an environment where it's conducive for investors but to come you here. Piss off investors. Well, Zuma did sort of create jobs when he bloated his entire government. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Amir. <laughs> okay, so can we sort of deduce that Ramaphosa's sort of strategy is? to garner as much investments as possible so that he can build the economy and create jobs from that. Yeah, I think he's also using his celebrity among mm. uh, uh, international investors to bring that. And he, what's interesting is that there's, measura- there's measurable tar- targets. And I really want to talk about um, uh, one example of, of how a commitment became a project, but it will take a bit of time. But basically to say that um, I think the man knows that his entire incumbency or his entire presidency will be measured against his ability to strengthen the economy. He was marketed as the money man. He was marketed as the guy that can fix the economy. Not so much anything else. Mm. And if he fails in that bit, I mean, if he fails on on not uniting the ANC, no one's going to, you know, it's not mm. going to be too much of a, of a mark against him. But if he fails in growing the economy and if we continue um, on a downward trajectory uh, where growth you know, we, we're battling on, you know, fluctuating, you know, in, in mi- minus 1% growth uh, or under 1% growth uh, quarter and quarter. Um, it's quite, that would be very telling for him. So so his advisors are saying, 
you know, from the time he was made president till the elections, it was a matter of, you know, setting the groundwork mm. in place. But after the elections, that's going to be the most important mm. thing. Not only us as the electorate, but also his own party is going to judge him mm. on. Let's move on to the ANC's opposition, the Democratic Alliance, and move on to what Musi Maimoni um, told his supporters um, a couple of weeks ago. I want a job in every home. We want to make sure small businesses become entrepreneurs to do what is best. We will rebuild our economy by maximizing the sectors that are key to job creation. Sectors like manufacturing, agriculture and tourism. Fellow South Africans, our manifesto will pass the Jobs Act, which will allow for tax incentives for people to come and open businesses that will create jobs. We will ensure that we introduce a year's program where young people can work for one year. We will pay them so that they can learn the skills in government and the dignity to have a job. I want our country to have an empowerment model that truly empowers more citizens. Isn't the politically connected? Let's give shares to the people who work in communities rather than politicians who are connected. Let those who work in the mine own shares in that mind. to me like a bit of a popular statement if, oh, um, <laughs> if I say so myself. It seems that my money is his focus and his manifesto sort of focused on trade investment and manufacturing as a driver and as the drivers for economic growth. Along with all his popular statements of one job per household, he doesn't tell us how he's going to do it though, does okay. he? I mean he did say he did say that he's going to have a tax incentive. The reality is our fiscus is suffering. Exactly. We are not uh, we can't afford for to give tax breaks anymore because we have such a low uh, what's the word? Tax base. Tax base. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> we have quite a low tax base. And so as a country we are you know, hustling for every penny that we can mm. get from the taxpayer. Um, you know, if this was a proposal done at a time where our country was not, uh, you know, in such a precarious situation, it would have worked because then it would have reignited the economy. And and the reality is, um, there is a tax in, uh, incentive. Uh, the the youth taxes. What is it? What is it? The Kuzato was opposed to the youth tax. Okay, at the moment there is a tax cut for companies to employ young people. There is those oh. in, uh, incentives, right? Yeah. So tax incentives is not a new idea. Mm. So to attract people to come to South Africa, effectively he's saying he's going to give tax incentives to big businesses, mm. which is really not going to help the economy because A, we need small businesses to grow. Yeah, of course. Right? And B, we need every penny um, of tax SARS can mm. can uh, collect. So, 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 I mean... This is just from a sort of a layman's perspective. Mm. Is that how a original is it, and b will it will it effectively work? Just that that element of his policies. Apiwe, you attended um, my money's manifesto launch. Um, what do you have to say about his his economic statements? Okay, wh- one of the things about that I think we had previously reflected on uh, in this platform was that uh, they didn't say much mm. or enough uh, about the the manifesto. When you go. Th- through their manifesto, they speak more than just about tax breaks and, and, and all of that. They speak about unbundling uh, SOEs. They speak about, uh, uh, okay, they are opposed to uh, the ANC's proposal to the uh, on the Reserve Bank, um, but they speak about eradicating um, corruption and city-led, city-led growth, right? So from that, 
is the DA-led national government going to be able to give jobs to every household? Uh, fortunately, you have uh, a government of the DA that had been in power for 10 years. Have they managed to do that in the Western Cape? <laughs> um, well, the Western Cape has been one of the better performance instead in terms of uh, job creation but, is, but there is a fight between provincial and national uh, government over who who's responsible, who's responsible for creating those, those jobs, jobs. Yeah. so but also what are those jobs are we yeah, talking about that was seasonal uh, farm work mm. oh no i think the job stats from western cape looks look yeah, they look looks quite good. positive. Oh, um, okay. uh, so, so from different markets, from uh, retail, from uh, maritime, from uh, including the, the the seasonal workers and, and, mm. and whatnot, um, uh, they get investments from different uh, multinationals. Like um, I know Amazon has got a big uh, office there, and is it Amazon? Or I think it's Amazon. Mm. So it's those are the people that must come and then be given tax breaks, and then what must happen to us taxpayers here? Yeah, well, because uh, it's a welfare state, no, a lot of people are not paying tax. Yeah, and not only that, it works in certain economies. Tax breaks work, right? But uh, if you if you've been following, and I'm up here, you you raised the thing about Amazon. Um, the U.S. is dealing with the same thing now. They're trying to attract the headquarters of Amazon in certain areas, and mm. so they, they they also the state different American states are flirting with this tax break concept, and it doesn't work. Yeah, well, uh, at, at, at times also it has to do with uh, ideology and, and so on. They believe that if you create a thriving environment uh, for investment and businesses that do not have an obligation to come and invest in your country, uh, if you create that sort of environment and attract them, uh, it, it, it in turn leads to jobs in an ideal world yes it does yes. i think so, but so I they think believe that even if it's entry level jobs it's better to have a job than to stay at home uh, at all because i remember during um some of their policy proposals around um the minimum wage was that it should be sector based so certain sectors and and whatnot should be able to or certain businesses should be able to apply to say in this my business can be able to create jobs for 10 people but i can't afford minimum wage if the person agrees to earn a thousand less than minimum wage then let's go with it but the the other more interesting part about it uh when he was speaking about employee share scheme uh it's 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 it's, it's a touch on their broad-based black like, economic empowerment policy but he didn't go on about it uh, it's, it's it's quite an interesting one because they uh, when they speak about elites uh, they speak about uh, currently the investment is based on um, who gets what tender and what not but as they themselves they feel that it must be workers uh, companies should be uh, rewarded so if you, you are going to award a tender you should reward the company for having a, a shareholding for employees having uh, contributed to um, what you call a creation of uh, entrepreneurs uh, either by investing uh, in, in those small uh, businesses by entrepreneurs or funding uh, organizations that uh, create such an environment but yeah all right, thank you, Apiwi. Let's move on to the EFF um, and let's see what Julius Malema has to say at his manifesto launch. Minimum wage here Ramaphosa are in Minimum wage 
but not 3,500. The money must go in the pockets of our people. All mine workers, the entry level must be 12,500 for all the mine workers who are at an entry level. The farm workers, 5,000. Manufacturing workers, 6,500. Retail workers, 5,000. Builders will earn a salary of 7,000. Petrol attendants, 6,500. Cleaners, 4,500. Domestic workers, 5,000. Security guards, 7,500. Waiters and waitresses, 4,500. Comrades, that is just an entry level. And if you are in that field and well experienced, you have to be paid more than that. So I think Malema is appealing a lot to his constituencies. Um, in his manifesto, he's appealing to the youth, he's appealing to the impoverished, he's appealing to um, the lower income category of society. A lot of uh, that constituency votes for the EFF, um, and that's who they appeal to. And I think um, apart from his promises here, um, the EFF did, I know, go to some lengths in explaining how they're going to sort of revamp the economy and where they're going to come from. But just if we look at that snippet itself, um, from my side, it's all good and well to promise somebody a basic minimum wage of, of that. But where does the money then come from? And how does it affect businesses where you import a minimum wage at that level? It, it sh- surely it will result in businesses closing down and not being able to pay their wages. Quickly, guys, how, how much do you guys think we're going to get paid if the EFF takes over? This is tempting. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay. Invoices in the age of the EFM. (laughs) (laughs) Look, um, the problem with uh, analyzing uh, the promises by the EFF uh, and their manifesto is that um, they promise a wholesale change Mm. of how things would be working should they be in government. Mm. Nationalization and, and so those... I mean, jobs is a, is a, as a result of what you are doing with the economy as exactly. a whole. Mm-hmm. So if they are going to be paying you that much, uh, the money must be coming from somewhere. Exactly. So I, I think we should be interrogating whether or not if we nationalize the mine, is the economy going to be thriving mm-hmm. or is it going to crash? You see what I'm saying? If uh, they, 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 they are going to be nationalizing land, is the mine is is the uh, farming industry uh, going to thrive or is it going to crash? Therefore, then you will be able to say because we've nationalized land, uh, uh, the agriculture sector is, uh, is thriving to such an extent that uh, Amil, as a farmer, is able to pay so much uh, to a seasonal worker who's picking, uh, um, say, fruits mm. for a month or two. Well, it's all well and good to make a whole bunch of promises. Um, if you look at lo- a lot of the EFF's policies and, and, and their pillars um, that they that they base their, their, their party on, um, a lot of those are not working in certain countries, and some of them are working in other countries. So it's a bit of a mixed match from the EFF, but also at the same time making these large-scale promises on what they plan to do if they do come into power. Kwanita, any comments? Do you do you guys think there is a need to disrupt um, the financial sector of mm. of South Africa and basically raise 
based socio-economic conditions. Mm. So I think you, what you're alluding to is a lot of what people were coming out on social media and saying that um, black people are treated very differently to whites when it comes to the financial sector in terms of um, loans yeah. and, and, and rates and, and, uh, and stuff. Yeah, but like, but like also in terms of, of participating mm-hmm. and ownership yeah, yeah. in the economy. Mm-hmm. Which I, is why my exception to what uh, uh, Musi was saying was that, you know, you bring these big given tax incentives to big companies. We need to be stimulating small businesses. Mm, yeah. Every emerging democracy that had succeeded was because they stimulated small mm. and medium enterprises. We've heard this over and over and over again. And the thing is, Emil, I think um, South Africa has... has South Africa's economic problem is a complex problem. And so a one-size-fits-all uh, solution is not going to make the cut. And I think we're battling with a legacy of apartheid, mm, yeah. which of is course. real in yeah. the economic space. Yeah. You are dealing with the lack of transformation, and then you're really dealing with the animals that was corruption and mm. state capture yeah. and ill governance. So so you, you're dealing with this, you know, Triple challenge of, of triple monster, actually. <laughs> that 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 really, uh, uh, you know, for the lack of a better word, screws over um, the person at the bottom of the of the pyramid. Um, and so, so w- when it comes to changing uh, or, or fixing the economy, um, you know, you, you, everyone is pulling and pushing in different directions. Uh, you know, the land question is just to deal with one element of it, yeah. and that is, uh, um, you know, to deal with the injustices of apartheid. But if you still have the monster that is corruption, that's not actually going to fix um, the, the injustices of apartheid because corruption will then prevent that land to go to its rightful, as we've seen in the past, and only a, an elite few benefiting. And if you have a monopoly of a person, who owns products that they have taken over that space. Mm. It's completely concentrated. No one can enter there anymore. It's closed. And unfortunately, so many years after democracy, black people are still struggling to get into those spaces. Hence, I was saying that uh, I think there is a need for a structural change in the economy. But I'm not sure about the tactics of the EFF. I, I don't think they... So the thing is, the thing about structural change is an important point. The reality is, um, and if you speak to a lot of Polokwane mourners, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people who supported former President Thabo Mbeki, yeah. they'll explain to you that that was their, the way they were thinking about things, that you stabilize the economy, you reduce, you reduce the debt of the country, uh, you do all of those things that make, make the country, um, you know, ripe, and then you can then go into the more drastic things. Um, and so, so, so that's what they, but, but I think you, we, we cannot discount the disastrous impact of the nine wasted years on efforts to transform the economy and make those structural changes. Okay, the the one criticism that has always been uh, of the pre polokwane administration uh, amongst people who uh, would discuss uh, are invested in the question of PE and whatnot was that it seemed as if instead of creating new industries, uh, we were replacing uh, Paul with Apiwe. <laughs> <laughs> and does then does that then uh, uh, translate to uh, Sandy who are there at home uh, who's uh, 
jobless or CP were there who's uh, starting a small business, uh, does it translate to opportunities for them? Th- or do you create new uh, monopolies that are just uh, being run by people that look like me? I think what we need to do is have an entire podcast session on transformation, <laughs> just on that aspect. <laughs> 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 one, one last thing, if, if, if our politicians do not speak or tackle the issue of transformation, even if they are making a promise, we still need to fix ABC, but we know this issue, we know it exists, and we are committed in solving it. Then you have a whole lot of disgruntled poor black people who are going to fall prey to the likes of other people that I'm not going to mention. <laughs> That's a good way to end it off, guys. Please join us again next week when we will continue with our election coverage. And um, yeah, guys, thanks for joining us in the studio, and have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>